This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. Rambling Man Today's track is called Rambling Man, written by Tim Woods, a friend of mine who lives in Berlin, of all places, uh, although he seems to prefer Germany these days to Britain. Um, <laughs> not quite sure what to make of that, but Tim's a really nice lad, and I've tried to help him where I can, um, although I'm not always sure I'm much help. But anyway, there you go. Tim has written a collection of short stories. He's actually written a novel which I published um or put into a a publication state for him last year, and that's Love in the Time of Britpop. I edited it slightly, I did the layout for it, put it together in book format, and designed him the front and back covers, uh, for which he was intensely grateful. Uh, Tim is a writer who was worth helping, and continues to be. He has a collection of short stories now, and this is out through littlepeakpress.co.uk. And the title of this book is Twisted Mountains. I do believe it's about rambling in Derbyshire. Now, I'm pretty good at rambling myself, but not on foot, just sat here rambling away. And uh, I would like to bring to your attention people that I found useful and consistently giving good service. So, here's one coming up now. It's not an advert that I get paid for. I just pass things on where I find a really good result. So, this is for Ink Worldwide. Now, that's inkworldwide, all one word, .co.uk. And that's their website. The guy's name is Dave Pemberton, and he's a very affable sort of guy. We email reasonably regularly because uh, being an awkward so-and-so myself, I get things wrong and so I need to ask Dave for advice. Dave always comes up with the advice and if anything is wrong with anything that he's sent me, which happens so rarely, but on the rare occasions when there has been a problem, Dave puts it right immediately. And I mean immediately, it's usually by return of post uh, if you email in, you've got a problem, something's not working, back it comes with a new one. And you say, what shall I do with the old one? Keep it or throw it away or give it somebody. So you can't fault that kind of con- uh, that kind of consumer service. He's extremely good. Uh, Dave, thank you very much from me. I'm not getting paid for this advert, as you know, and uh, as I hope my listeners know, because I wouldn't do paid adverts. Only where people have given me extremely, extremely good customer service. So thank you very much, Dave Pemberton at inkworldwide.co.uk for turning up trumps for me every time. And by the way, he doesn't just sell compatible inks. They have the papers and almost anything you need for printing. So that's inkworldwide.co.uk. Thanks again, Dave. The story you're about to hear is from Tim's book, Twisted Mountain, 
and it's called Rambling Man. Rambling Man <sighs> Douglas sighed loudly to no one as he filled his thermos. Through the kitchen window he could see the secateurs reluctantly lent to his neighbour three days earlier. They lay on the dewy grass, almost hidden in swirls of unraked leaves. He had little doubt they'd been there the whole time, and would certainly need oiling when he got them back, if he got them back. His spade had never been returned. Eventually he'd been forced to buy another. He hadn't brought that up, though, when the request for the secateurs had been made. He didn't like to make a fuss. Shaking his head, he wrapped two slices of ginger cake in cling film and assessed some pears. Mm, still too firm. Instead, he picked out the two bananas with fewest brown spots, placing them carefully in a tea-towel-lined Tupperware to minimise bruising in transit. After placing these goods on top of the rolled-up fleece in his rucksack, he checked again that his map and compass were in the top pocket. He hadn't used either for years, but the thought of being anywhere near the hills without them filled him with sufficient horror to check every time. There they were, as he'd known all along. His boots, stuffed neatly with newspaper, were left in the hallway this time. Two faithful old servants, but not needed today. Which was a shame. The weather was perfect and the moors would be even more glorious than usual. The trees were assuming their bronchial winter form and the overnight frost would make the mud along the paths crunch pleasingly underfoot. Maybe... He'd climb Rosebury Topping tomorrow, although the weather was set to change overnight. He'd have to set off early as well. The hill was increasingly overrun these days, even on bad days, and you had to time it right to avoid the crowd. The rest of the North York Moors weren't much better, either. The villages along the railway line had long since been ruined by fans of that infernal TV programme. Groups completing the coast-to-coast were the worst of the lot, though, hooting and hollering as if they were the first ones to have ever done it, never mind a hundredth that week. It had been very different when Douglas did it. The route was the same, but everything else had changed. Ravanelli, the creaky old Labrador, was waiting by the front door. He'd had a frustrating morning, being tormented and ignored by next door's cat. He followed slowly, and when he finally reached the car, Douglas gave him a gentle shove up into the boot. Man's best friend, so people said. He didn't believe it himself, as he and the dog hadn't exactly hit it off. That had happened to Douglas a lot during his life. Fifty-nine, single, and with few people in rank above acquaintance. He was meeting one of those few today, though. Before starting the engine, Douglas made one additional check, one not part of his usual routine. He patted the top pocket of his fleece, just to be certain that today's additional item was there. It was, of course. 
He removed the small red box from his pocket and opened it. Not a dazzling ring, nor expensive, but he was hopeful that she would like it. Douglas tuttered as the car headed along the high street. If it wasn't for Elizabeth, he'd have left this place years ago. It had been home for all but three of his fifty-nine years, yet he liked it less now than ever. Half the shops had closed, and those still open were ones he never visited, betting shops, coffee chains, cheap bakeries and discount stores. Nor did he like the ugly new estate that had sprung up at the far end, built in a style that bore not so much as a nod toward the town's architectural traditions. He smiled as he passed the school in which he'd spent well over half of his days on earth, first as a pupil, then as a teacher. Not for the memories of the years spent teaching. He'd failed to glean much enjoyment from being trapped in that pit of noise and germs and oppressive central heating. But because it was the first place he'd ever seen her. And, moments later, fallen in love. He'd confessed as much to his older brother that evening and been scorned for it. You're twelve, you don't know what it even means. But Douglas had known what he felt, and still felt, forty-seven years later. Not that he'd suffered in silence. This was a love that had dared to speak its name on several occasions. On her fourteenth birthday, he presented her with a handmade card and a book he just knew she'd love. She laughed at him, walking off with two friends who were quick to join in with her scorn. Two years later, he'd opted for the safer approach of going to her house with a gift. She hadn't laughed then, but neither had she invited him inside, nor reciprocated the gesture on his own birthday a few weeks later. Douglas had left, reluctantly, to study biochemistry in Newcastle, relying on his mother to keep him updated on who Elizabeth was seen with. Back during university holidays, he'd done that himself, spending his evenings seeing where she went, who she talked to, and for how long. Creepy? No. He was a trainee scientist, undertaking vital research in preparation for the day he'd come home for good. Simply being rigorous, as he always had been. On the day of his return, Douglas had gone straight to her house to ask her out. Properly. Dinner. Somewhere smart. Maybe dancing. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. Her mother had opened the door and offered him a warm smile. She'd always liked Douglas and told him Elizabeth was out with Alan. But perhaps he could come round another evening. It would be lovely to hear about Newcastle, about his studies. How's your mother doing? Do send her my regards. Douglas spent the following two weeks investigating Alan. Early results revealed him to be an overweight smoker who worked for one of the chemical companies over in Redcar. Further research would be needed to establish quite what Elizabeth saw in him. But the early hypothesis was money. 
Given that he didn't have any of his own with which to compete, Douglas had decided to take a little more time to consider his next move. The wedding invitation arrived soon afterwards, evening reception only. He'd replied immediately, thank you, sorry, can't make it, and then urgently set about finding a plausible reason why he couldn't go. The first thing he spotted in the newspaper was a two-week walking holiday, completing the coast-to-coast path with the local rambling club. He booked a place immediately, anything to ensure he was nowhere nearby on the wedding day. The other side of the country was still too close, but it was as far as he could afford. The first week had been horrendous. Rain hammered his body by day, and at night his mind was ravaged with images of the happy couple on their honeymoon. But by the second week, The sun had jostled the rain aside, and he had, despite his best efforts, started to enjoy the repetitive rhythms of each day's walk. Cooking breakfast, checking his kit, studying the route for the day. He'd even become aware of his fellow walkers, going so far as to talk to them when absolutely necessary. He'd refused to join them, in dipping their feet into the sea at Robin Hood's Bay, despite their protestations that he must. He hadn't taken part in the ritual at St. Bees and saw little reason to do so at the finish. But he'd realised, while watching his new companion splash in the water, that he might just have found something to distract him from his pain. Those two weeks marked the start of a new love affair, albeit one that came a very distant second to his first. Before long, walking was the focus of his life, and Douglas was good at it. He excelled at navigation. He knew how to prepare for all weathers, and, always turning up, stopped with energy and perseverance. People who are good at sports end up playing for better teams. Those with musical talent might form a band, and if you're good at walking, You climb the ranks of your local rambling society. Unable to even contemplate trying to find someone to replace Elizabeth, Douglas threw himself wholeheartedly into their activities. First, he offered to lead the weekend walks. Within a year, he became membership secretary and treasurer soon afterwards. When Eric Batley announced he was stepping down as chairman, No one even considered standing against Douglas in the vote. He was pleased, relieved even. Anything to keep his mind off Elizabeth. Clocks tick, years pass. The town wasn't big, and Douglas was unable to avoid them completely, despite his best efforts. A quick hello while shopping, a brief chat at the church fete. During his early thirties, their eldest daughter started at his school, and the second daughter quickly followed. He'd been relieved that neither ended up in his classes, knowing he'd have been unable to decide between favouring them because they were hers, or picking on them because they were Alan's. Yet the occasional sight of her around the school, parents' evenings, school plays, had provided unwelcome reminders of the life he'd missed out on. Simply by acting too late. 
By his forties, Douglas had settled into such a steady routine, teaching five days, walking two, that it was a significant, albeit welcome, shock when Elizabeth turned up for one of his weekend walks. Then another, a few weeks later. She wasn't a regular, not at first, but as the girls grew older and increasingly filled their weekends with things that didn't involve her, she had started coming to all of them. During a walk around Bransdale, one of his shorter routes at a little under six miles, but always popular, she confided that she and Alan hardly spent any time together any more. Douglas had been thrilled to discover this, a sensation only heightened when she had agreed to help him plan the walking programme for the following year. Douglas chuckled as he drove past the porter cabin on the edge of town that served as the club's headquarters. He often wondered where he'd spent more time, in there or on the hills. Yet he really liked the drafty old hut. He had plenty of happy memories of evenings spent there with Elizabeth, plotting future excursions, and she'd been exactly what they'd needed, setting up a website to attract new members, gently encouraging the regulars to travel further afield. It was Elizabeth who had persuaded them, despite fierce protestations, to add trips to the Dales to their programme. Douglas had also resisted at first. He had little time for the Dales, far too flashy and expensive for his tastes, but quickly relented when she explained the trips would take full weekends. The chance to spend nights with her, albeit in separate rooms, had been too much to resist, though he'd always made sure those rooms were at least adjacent. And they worked well as a team. She found comfortable yet affordable places to stay, while he researched routes away from the overcrowded honeypots. The annual trips to Raydale, Arkengarthdale and Coverdale quickly became highlights of the club's summer programme. By the time they were heading into their fifties, Douglas and Elizabeth were firm friends, confidants even. Her daughters had left home and Alan was often away on business. He was by that time on the board of the chemical company, the reward for a lifetime of loyalty. They'd never had any shared interests, she'd confessed to Douglas one evening over a drink. Hardly even a couple anymore, she'd said. Just two people sharing a house. Douglas listened that night to the story of a marriage drifting towards its conclusion, wondering how much longer he should be the shoulder to cry on and when he should suggest that she left Alan. That was surely the time, but he couldn't quite bring himself to say it. He'd reasoned that it was better to let things reach their natural conclusion. Douglas had little belief in fate or providence, but all the same it felt significant that Alan's illness was diagnosed the very next day. Douglas wasn't callous enough to wish him an early death, but bitterly resented the toll it took on Elizabeth. 
the constant care Alan needed took up all her time. Washing, feeding, exercise, hospital visits, more washing, shopping, getting him out of bed, getting him back into it, walking the dog. There had been little time for any rambling, never mind helping him organise club activities. The members were understanding, naturally, and everyone missed her. But no one missed her as much as Douglas. He couldn't remember when he'd first suggested helping out, but soon enough he was coming around every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. He'd had plenty of spare time, having gone part-time at fifty, partly due to tightening staff budgets, but mostly due to his dislike of the students. He sat with Alan to give Elizabeth some time to be normal, if only for a few hours. Douglas would have preferred to spend time with her, of course, but took comfort in knowing that he was helping. He had even warmed to Alan slightly, albeit from a glacial starting point. They never became friends, but over the years established a comfortable, almost wordless routine of tea, crosswords and afternoon TV. On Mondays, two afternoons a week had quickly become all five. Douglas read out the weekend football reports, always starting with Borough, of course. After that, the racing results, then local news, followed by a joint assault on the cryptic crossword. Alan was usually asleep in his chair by the time Elizabeth got home, giving her a few precious minutes to tidy the house before they woke him together for the evening routine of washing and getting him back upstairs. At the end... Alan barely needed to tap at death's door for it to swing open for him. Douglas had been there when it happened, patting Alan's hand gently as Elizabeth wept on the opposite side of the bed. Two years ago now, Douglas realised, as he turned the car into her road. He'd known there would need to be a dignified pause, time to allow for whatever grieving she needed to do for a man she had long since stopped loving. There was also the need to consider what people might think, what they might say. About her, of course, he wasn't bothered what he thought of him, and never had been. He knew people respected him more than liked him, if they ever thought about him at all. What was there to think about? Few people grow up with dreams of teaching biology in the same school for thirty-plus years, or spending their evenings doing the admin for a medium-sized rambling club. So he'd waited, then waited a bit more. There was no guidance in these matters, and no one he could ask about what would be a respectful period. But he decided one week ago that now was the right time. Now or never. Or rather, now or any time in the next four to six months. Elizabeth hadn't told him about her own illness. He'd overheard two women in the town's supermarket, and there had been no question of who they were discussing. Had that prompted him to buy the ring? Possibly. After dallying for most of his life, the matter was now somewhat pressing. Did you bring Ravenelli? 
Elizabeth asked excitedly, as he manoeuvred her carefully into the passenger seat. Of course, he's in the boot, Douglas replied. How's he doing? Is he eating better? He's fine, he reassured her. He wasn't. The vet had confirmed that Ravenelli's tumour was incurable. Douglas was a little relieved. He didn't much care for the dog. But another part of him willed it to outlast Elizabeth, so he wouldn't have to give her the news about her beloved pet. Ravenelli let out a low grumble from the boot, helping to keep up the pretense that everything was the same as it ever was. My grandson's having his appendix out, Elizabeth continued, as they headed south out of town. Douglas said nothing. It didn't merit further comment, and besides, he didn't like hearing about her grandchildren. Grandchildren made him think of her children, whose existence must have meant that she had with Alan. Well, where do you want to go today? he asked quickly shaking an unpleasant image from his mind. I thought a bit of sea air might do you good. Sea air didn't cure cancer. Douglas knew that, although it couldn't hurt. But he knew exactly where she'd want to go, the same place she always did when he took her out. Can we go to Rosebury? she said. I'd like to sit on our bench. It'll be looking wonderful today. Douglas smiled. Rosebury Topping had always been her favourite, the same as his. Ravenelli would be pleased too, as he could sit beneath the bench and wait for any scraps that dropped within his arthritic reach. Can you turn the heating up a little, Dougie? He slid the button all the way to the right. That's too much. He moved it halfway back. Yes, that's just right. You're like all three bears in one, you are, he said. She laughed, and Douglas allowed himself a smile. In the car park he reassembled her wheelchair and gently helped her into it. It was an effort to push her up the rutted track to the bench, but he didn't mind. Douglas looked, as always, in quiet awe of the sight before them. The hill was resplendent in its russet autumn coat, and he envied the walkers who were swarming its flanks like brightly coloured ants attacking a fallen ice lolly. Two men were racing up. Why come out for a walk, and then rush to get it over with? Douglas hadn't hurried in his life. He preferred taking his time, and he could tell, even from this distance, that few of them were sticking to the paths, despite the numerous signs instructing them to do so. Still, what could you do with people these days? They were probably leaving their rubbish up there as well, assuming that someone else would pick it up for them. Tutting to himself, he spread the rug out carefully on the bench and took another over her legs. Next, he placed the thermos, cake and fruit between them. Which tea do you want? I've brought the herbal ones you like, or the decapinated. Herbal, please. Right you are. Douglas poured hot water into the cups and began unwrapping the cake. It's a wonderful hill, isn't it? she sighed. Such a perfect shape. Maybe we can try it next week, he said, after a moment's thought, if we leave a bit earlier. 
I could push you up there, I think. Not to the top, but a little way up, I'm sure. The dog'll have to stay at home, mind. I can't be looking after both of you. You'll have to excuse me next week, Dougie, she said. I'll be on my honeymoon. Douglas paused, a piece of cake halfway to his mouth. Honeymoon? Despite their many years of friendship, he'd never really been in tune with her sense of humour. And this one passed him by as well. Heading somewhere nice, are you? Only Whitby. She placed a frail hand on his cake-free one. It's Eric. Eric Batley. We've become very close. I've been visiting him at the home. He asked me two weeks ago. You know him, don't you? Douglas did indeed. Eric Batley, his predecessor as chairman of the Rambling Club. An acquaintance rather than a friend, but Douglas had still helped to move his things to the care home, after it had been agreed that Eric had had one fall too many in his own place. A whole day he'd been driving back and forth, ferrying Eric's possessions for him. What was that, six weeks ago? He couldn't be much longer. He doesn't hang about, does he? he said. I guess you don't at our age, said Elizabeth. I would have invited you, but we decided on just family. I see. And you never came to my first one, she said. No, I didn't, said Doug. They watched a young family heading slowly up the main path the littlest member falling repeatedly. Douglas suspected it was on purpose, so the dad would carry her to the top. He tried to work out how often he'd been up there himself, at least thirty times a year, for the best part of forty years. What was that, a hundred and twenty times? No, wait a minute, one thousand two hundred. Had he really walked up the same hill more than a thousand times? I was going to ask you, you know, he said quietly. Elizabeth didn't reply, but he knew she had heard. Her lungs may be failing, but her hearing was just fine. Douglas wondered if there would be a response of any kind. He studied his slice of cake, anything to avoid having to look at her. He couldn't, not with wet eyes. Up on the hill, the mother was taking the little child down, while Dad and the older one pushed on for the top. I'm a lucky woman, you know, she said. I've had one happy marriage, and it was happy for many years, and now I might have another. And I've always had you looking out for me, ever since we were teenagers. Twelve, said Douglas. We were twelve when we met. Douglas had never once thought that he was the love of her life, but nor was Alan. He doubted Eric was either. People married whoever they were with when they wanted to get married. It was timing that meant she married Alan instead of him. Nothing more than that. He hadn't been around at the right moment. But to miss out a second time? Once was bad luck. But this time the blame really did fall squarely at his own feet. Too long spent dithering trying to do the decent thing, and once again he'd been outpaced, this time by someone who could no longer even walk. A gust of wind burst the tear on his cheek and blew it away. I'd like to go to the Dales when I'm back, she said. Seema water. 
I'd like to see Seymour Water one last time. This time, Douglas pretended not to hear. You always liked Raydale, didn't you? She continued. You told me once it was your favourite, Dale. As much as you could bring yourself to have a favourite over there. But I know why. You always like the quiet spots best. She squeezed his hand. Let's go. Just you and me. Eric won't mind. Maybe I mind, Douglas thought, snatching his hand away. What am I? A taxi driver for the dying. She was Eric's responsibility now. It was a race to the final finish line for those two, he thought bitterly. Those three, if you included the dog. Angry with her for the first time in 47 years, he studied the hill intensely. The father and son had reached the summit, and Douglas could see the man fiddling with the GPS. On Rosemary Topping, for goodness sake, only a fool could get lost up there, but there were plenty of them about. He couldn't stand those things. What use were they when the batteries went? No, it was a map and compass for him, always had been. He decided he would definitely climb it tomorrow, whatever the weather was up to. All right, Seymour Water, he sighed. Thank you, Dougie. She moved her hand alongside his, and he patted it gently. He wanted to hold it, but it didn't seem right. Not under the circumstances. And you'll look after Ravenelli for me, won't you? When I'm gone. This would have been an opportune moment for the dog to place a pleading paw on Douglas's leg, or even just nudge him affectionately, but instead he just sat there watching the slice of ginger cake and willing it to drop. Douglas tutted and broke off a piece. I suppose so, he muttered, giving the dog the rest of his cake, along with a pat between the ears. Unwittingly, he reached for the pocket of his jacket. The ring was still in there, but he had no idea what he was going to do with it now. You've just been listening to another excellent podcast from Urban Tiger Radio, sponsored by Cybermouse Multimedia. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, don't forget to click the little heart button on your way out and let everyone else know that you like it. So, once again, that's a goodbye from me and a... from Nelly.